0: I mean, I would probably say that all of us are carrying some sort of grief mm-hmm. into the into the holiday season. Like when you are depressed, it's really it's really hard <laughs> to celebrate. And you want to, you want to join in the festivities. But again, you can't force that. And so I think it's really important for us as a church to recognize that there is that tension there. And yes, we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate with everything that we've got. And yet we also want to acknowledge and honor the grief and the pain that our people are carrying.
1: From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we will be talking all about the power of standing with people who are struggling with Carrie Barkas, founder of Love Does That, and she is offering a free downloadable Blue Christmas Planning Guide. This is a resource that helps churches plan a service that honors the losses that people have experienced this year and that offers hope. You can find this resource at hopemadestrong.org. Slash episode 11. A concept that seems super basic but incredibly hard to do in real life is feeling your feelings. For many generations and within many cultures, it's been encouraged to suppress your feelings. You know, bury those way deep down. This messaging begins at a very early age. Many of us have been told, or perhaps we've even told our own children when they're crying, don't cry, there's nothing to cry about. From an early age, children are being taught to avoid and suppress feelings. As a result, coping strategies that avoid negative feelings have exploded. Things like alcohol, drugs, eating disorders, workaholism, and many other self-harming behaviors. We are compulsively avoiding negative feelings. But the problem with that is that our brains can't be selective and choose which emotions to numb and avoid. So when you numb sadness, you also numb happiness and joy. Romans 1215 encourages us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, to feel or experience the whole spectrum of emotions. While it's uncomfortable, it is much healthier to lean into the moment and feel your feelings. But this can be a really lonely space grief, sadness, anxiety, hurt, anger, when you feel those overwhelming emotions, it's often the times when we feel the most lonely. But God knows the power of companionship. There are many scriptures that speak to the importance of supporting one another, having people who stick closer than a brother, who weep and rejoice with you, and who sharpens you. In Hebrews ten twenty-five, we are told to not neglect meeting together to encourage one another. But meeting people in those dark moments is difficult. It's often inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, and if I'm truly honest, it could be exhausting. But we're called to love. In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has none than this, than someone who lays his life down for his friend. And while I believe there are moments when you are in the position of healing and you need to focus on tending to your own needs, most of our time is being open to supporting others because holding space with someone who is going through a difficult time can be life changing. Carrie Parkis, founder of Love Does That, has spent her life standing in this space with people. Born and raised in a small Midwestern community of Indiana, Carrie was the shy girl growing up, but at the same time was drawn to befriend the kids who were left out. In high school, she started coming out of her shell as she joined speech clubs, theater groups, and began to write. Carrie was drawn to anything that was linked with sharing a message with others. Like many other introverted small-town teens, she went to a nearby university and she studied communications as her passion to connect with others grew. But it was here that she began to see that her ability to connect with outsiders was in fact a gift and that it didn't come naturally to others.
0: When I went to college... I ended up being a teacher's assistant for for the speech classes Um, and there was one time after class where maybe like a girl that others would see as annoying like I was just kind of chatting with her and hearing about her weekend and my professor was walking with us because we were walking after class um, and she walked off on her own he's like how do you do that and I'm like how do I do what (laughs) because to me I'm just I'm just chatting with her he's like how do you how do you talk to her like that like she's She's kind of hard to talk to sometimes, and I'm like, well, I don't know, I just I just kinda of do it. Like she has a story to share, and I wanted to hear what our weekend was like. And so I think it was kind of then that I started to realize that not everyone can talk to everyone like that or not everyone wants to talk to everyone like that. like they just if they find someone annoying or someone who um, is maybe a little socially awkward or something like that, like they just kind of tend to stay away from them. And I'm just like, no, that doesn't bother me i'll I'll chat with you, <laughs> you know, and so not caregiver in that sense, but just being a friend of people that maybe don't have a lot of friends.
1: Have you ever heard back from someone what the impact of your friendship and your kindness was?
0: I don't know that I've ever heard back from them. I do have um a student who was when I taught college public speaking classes, I still have a student that I'm connected with. and um, that's been kind of fun to watch him kind of grow up a little bit and get married and have his have his own kid. Um, but I do, I do see like just my interaction with them. I saw that it it made a difference for them, which, which was pretty cool. You know,
1: did you have someone in your life that made a difference for you? Like a youth leader or someone that impacted you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when I was toward the end of high school and in college and even into my twenties, I really struggled with depression and a bit of loneliness and just, you know, didn't really have a ton of friends or a ton of close friends. Um, there were different seasons where I had lost really close friends, but there were people, there were professors, there were other students in my classes who, who really just kind of showed up and they just kind of like loved me through it. You know, they, um, they would walk into the classroom and be like, Hey Carrie, how's it, do, how, how's it going today? Or, um, come find me in my office at work and be like, Hey, just pop it in and say, Hey, you know, just, just little things. Um, and some of them became really good close friends to where I felt like I was part of their family. You know, Mm -hmm. when I was in my twenties, uh, living on my own, working at a church, you know, just kind of away from my family, they, they adopted me in. And so I would have supper with them sometimes, or we would serve together or be in Bible study together. And that made such a big difference for me. And I absolutely loved it. Like just being able to be welcomed in. Um, I was also part of a drama team at that church. And I think that was one of the first times, like these people just really show their faith to me. Like it was personal and they weren't afraid to show that. And I think sometimes when we're in faith communities, like it's, we don't share that personal aspect. Like we, we do the Bible study and it's all this head stuff. And yet they're like, man, I really struggled over this week. And, and they were just really open about where they were at and their faith and their prayer. And that, that was such a blessing to me as well, because I hadn't necessarily seen that in other places before. And so there were so many people, you know, that just kind of came into my life at just the right time, you know, just to kind of be there. And it wasn't that they necessarily like, there wasn't like a direct support of you're struggling with depression and I'm going to help you through that. It was just, they're just friends and they were just showing up and being there and loving me. And that meant so much to me.
1: You finished college Um, and you're married now, right? With a couple of kids. Yeah. So tell me that story.
0: So I was actually, I got married in my twenties and that was actually a very unhealthy marriage and, uh, never should have happened, but it happened anyway. And I had a daughter with him. And, uh, after a couple of years he left, which was actually a good thing for us. And, um, I met my husband now just, we were coming up on five years of marriage and he and I have a little guide together. But um even in that first marriage, like just being that unhealthy place and um going to church, like that was that was hard like to show up and and to work for a church, nonetheless, to be able to show up every week and know that like almost kind of like living without shame. You know, like how do I how do I explain this to other people and how do I how do I I don't know I just I think I I just try to hide it really. but God has been so good to redeem that for us in our lives. And my husband now is such a blessing and has uh, adopted my daughter. And we are just, we're one family together. And he's got a couple of kiddos too that are older. And um, like God has just been so good to bring us to each other because we both have hurt. And uh, it's just, it's such a blessing. <laughs> yeah.
1: In those early years, working for a church, going through those personal struggles, what was your support? How, wh- What got you through or what was your focus?
0: So I would actually say I actually tended to push other people away. Mm. And that's kind of just how I dealt with it because I was so ashamed of kind of the choices that I had made. I knew it wasn't right and I wasn't happy with it. Um, and in some cases I just felt trapped. And so instead of letting a lot of people in, I tended to shove them out. Um, And just kind of, just kind of went through a lot of things on my own. Like I had my family around um, and I had maybe like one or two kind of like closer friends, but still, I remember that just being a, like, I'm just, I just, I pushed people away because I was so ashamed of it. Um, And so when I was trying to work through that divorce and just trying to figure some of that stuff out, my pastor and his wife were really supportive of that. Um, And kind of walked with me through part of that and helped me figure out how to do like the arrangements and the papers and just all that stuff, because she had a background and she was a lawyer. And so she was able to help me very specifically with that. And that kind of tangible support was really important to me and really helpful to me at the time. But I still remember just, I was, I was so ashamed and so embarrassed, like, this is not a part of my life I want people to know about. And so um, it wasn't until later that I I really started letting people back in again and like just having that, that one or two close friends for me, you know, being more introverted, I, I, I tend to lean towards just having one or two really, really good friends. And they're the ones that I lean, lean on or talk to. And that is probably what helped me through kind of just dealing with that process and trying to find a way to move forward and not let that kind of define my life today that shame could be really
1: powerful for people.
0: Yeah. What, what released that for you? God. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He's helping me work through that. Um, And I'm still working through part of it today, you know, just trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I not carry that with me? Because um, I just want to forget about that. You know, I just want to like shove it away in the past and pretend that it never happened, but it did. And just letting God show up in that story of you know he was there with us during that time, and he protected me and my daughter in so many ways, and I am so thankful to him for doing that and for shielding us, and just being there. And the fact that he, I mean, he sent his son to go to the cross for my shame, and for my guilt, like that is just so incredibly powerful. And just letting him, letting him carry that, like I don't have to carry that. He has chosen with his great love to carry that for me. And I don't have to carry that anymore. And so sometimes it's a, it's a daily process. Sometimes it's a weekly of just mm-hmm. letting that go again. Of I don't have to carry this, God, you got it. Mm-hmm. You got it. I don't have to be ashamed. I can just recognize that I made those choices and I'm forgiven. I've, I've moved forward mm-hmm. and I'm healing. And by God's grace, he has brought so much redemption mm-hmm. and to us, like, I can't believe the life that I'm living now. Like, just the fact that I have a husband that loves me and kiddos that are here and just we to hang out together and just how amazing that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that experience, do you ever feel that experience that you had
0: um, enriches your support for other people? It does. Because, you know, I think when I was younger, I was probably one of those people that were like, I would never do something like that. <laughs> like, I would live in that judgment of, hearing about someone and, oh, I would never do that. How could they do something like that? And yet, then I fell, found myself falling into a position that I never would have dreamed that I would have done. And there I was, I was making choices that I never would have thought. Um, and so it has brought out in me that compassion of understanding that we make choices sometimes that aren't in alignment with who we are and with the things that we value. Sometimes we get feel like we get trapped into certain situations. And I understand that now, you know, I've, I've been through that. And so it has expanded my compassion for people and my grace and just, you know, that judgment isn't there anymore. It's just, oh my gosh, like I under, I understand and I'm here for you and let's, let's find a way to walk through this together. Mm.
1: That, that peer piece, that, that lived experience piece is really powerful when you can bring that to your caregiving and support for others. It's huge your role within the church. You were saying that you worked in a church. Have you always worked in ministry or tell me a little bit about your history with ministry?
0: Yeah, sure. So after finishing college, I had about 12 years in church ministry. And so that was at two different churches. And the first one was a larger church um, and I worked as the communication team administrator. And so I was doing the writing and the editing I was a project manager for our team. And so whenever, like any communication piece that went through the church went through me, whether it was from the pastor, whether it was the bulletin, uh, prayer list, like anything that would go through my hands and I would help get it out to people. Um, And yet while I was working there, I also volunteered in other areas. And so I was on the drama team and I was um, on the prayer team and I was on the building team, like just helping them set up and tear down and just all those little things that have to happen. Um, and then when I got pregnant with my daughter, I realized I didn't want to work quite as many hours and I wanted to be closer to family so they could help me take care of her. And so um, I transitioned to a smaller church of maybe 120 people and worked there as the office manager, which, you know, church secretary was often on the front lines <laughs> yep. of ministry. And so phone calls, <laughs> phone calls and bulletins and just all the office stuff, finances, just whatever. Um, But often found myself in that position to where if someone needed help, um, they would talk to me first and I would decide, you know, do they talk to the pastor or can I help them or do I need to send them to someone else? Um, And in that for for a few years, and then they created the position of director of children's ministries because the number of children in that church had grown so much, they needed someone to, they wanted someone to kind of oversee that ministry. And so I waited a little bit and then I'm like, well, can I do that? Like (laughs) I would really enjoy um, leading that and just worshiping with the kids and teaching them. And so I started doing that too. And did that for a few years. And when I got pregnant with my son, I dropped to the office manager and just focused so- solely on the, on the children's ministries because that let me work from home so I could be with him. And it was very part-time. So maybe 10 hours a week, but just being with the kids every Sunday in in the classroom, teaching them or like supporting the teacher and just being with them. And so over 12 years, um, kind of did a few different roles, but always, you know, just always serving in whatever way I could. So whether that was my official job or I was, you know, participating in a church event, like I'm just always, I loved teaching and i loved doing Bible studies. And um, that's kind of what my background in the church has been like. Love
1: Does That focuses on caregiving and supporting other people. So where did that passion? Where did there's a thread of always connecting and being a connector and a supporter and using friendship as a way to support. But where where does that happen in ministry?
0: Yeah, so I think as I was working in the church, again whether that was the big church that I worked at or the smaller one, um or even just like I I attend a tiny church now, so like 45 people, right? I think it was just over time, just making the observation that when someone was hurting, they didn't always seem to get the support they needed, or like just just noticing the difference in reactions. And so, for example, one person might get cancer, and so the the church would rally around them and provide childcare and meal support, and offer to drive them to their doctor's appointments, which was awesome. But then someone else in the same church would get cancer and just be added to the prayer list. I'm like, why? Why is that so different? And maybe, maybe they didn't need all the extra help. Maybe they had the support team they needed already. But I just kind of sat back and like, well, why did that person not get the same response? Like, why are we not showing them the same kind of love? Why is the why don't we put together this meal train for them? Like, just nobody seeing the difference. And some people, you know, we had one lady end up in the hospital, um, and she got put on the prayer list. I'm like, well, why is she in there? And no one can answer me. I'm like, no one called. Like, no one mm. called to check on her. And so I, I try to call and. She wasn't able to talk to me. And so I'm like, poke one of my other staff members. I'm like, you need to call and see if you can get her to talk to you because we need, a, we need to support her in this. We can't just let her feel like she's alone. And so I think it's that, that piece of someone going through hurt alone. That just, that breaks my heart. And I don't ever want someone to feel like they have to go through something alone. Now, when I went through my stuff, I pushed people away because, <laughs> because I wasn't ready for them to, I wasn't in a place where I could accept their help. Right. But for someone to want help, to want that support and even ask for it, like to call the church and say, Hey, can you put me on the prayer list because I just found out I have cancer. And then to feel like there's no response back from that. Like Mm. I can't imagine how heartbreaking that is. And so my mission is to make sure that that's, that's not happening, that we're all kind of taking the initiative to care for those in our circles whether that's at church or our family or a close circle of friends that we are caring for those around us so that people don't get missed because that's not what the body of Christ is all about. We care for each other. We take care of each other. Um, And that's, that's one calling that Jesus has given all of us. Like we are to care for our neighbors, our near dwellers. And when people get missed, like I, I can't imagine the kind of heart, heartbreak that that brings.
1: Where does the name love does that come from?
0: Yes. So I I love the story. <laughs> so I uh was giving a message at my church and it was centered on John 4, which is the story of the woman at the well. And um throughout that message, we just kind of looked at it from the lens of well, why we asked a lot of questions. Why would why would Jesus talk to her? And why would she respond to him in that way? Like if I had some stranger come up to me and start talking to me like that, I'm not sure that I would respond to him the same way that she did. Um, And we asked a lot of questions and a lot of questions. And the answer every time was, well, love. Love does that. Love reaches across boundaries and love um, reaches out to those that are hurting. And because of his love for her, she was able to uh, receive that and um, run back to the people who hated her, the people that ostracized her, and she was able to just say, hey, you've got to come and see this Messiah. And just the change in her um just really spoke to us. And so that was actually a message that I gave um right as my husband and I were dating and getting to know one another. And I had him listened to it. And so it just kind of became a framework for like a, a little catchphrase for our marriage, like, well, love does that. Love does that. And so when I started, I actually started as an Etsy shop. <laughs> when I started that, I'm like, well, I need a name for the shop. And so. I'm like, I'll I'll do love does that because that's kind of what we're all about. And it's kind of stuck and it's grown. And so that's where the name comes from. We want to be people that are acting in love. Love does. Love does that. Um, We don't just say that we love. We actually do something about it.
1: Mm, Very action oriented. I love it. Yes. So what are the types of things that you do? Tell us about what love does that is all about.
0: So I work as a spiritual director for women that are hurting. And so um, the primary way that I help them is just really just meeting with them. And actually we, we meet through letters, through email. Um, it's a specific way that I work through that, but we, we work together just to try to find where God is working in their lives during that difficult season. Because I know there are times when we are just struggling, we're grieving and God just seems distant or he seems silent or he's not answering our prayers the way that we want him to. And so part of my work is just helping them recognize where is God, where is God working? Where is he showing up? And what is he inviting you to do during this time? Is he inviting you to surrender this part of your story? Is he inviting you to worship in this moment? Is he inviting you to trust him in this specific piece of your story? Um, Is he inviting you to praise him today? Is he inviting you to, to lament and mourn? Like just what is that invitation that he has for you in this part of your story and just really helping people to recognize that because again, he feels distant and he feels silent sometimes, or we don't know how to hear his voice or how to recognize his, his promptings or his nudges. And so I really love working with women that are hurting in that season to just, just pause and just really lean into him instead of letting themselves fall away from him. Because I know when we have friendships that, you know, maybe someone's not responding to us. We just kind of like, we tend to draw away, but um, God's there. He promises that he's going to walk with us through these seasons. And so let's try to find him. Let's try to figure out where he's at. And he's, he says, if you, if you seek me, you're going to find me. And so let's find him, <sighs> you No, know, he's here. And so, um, that's the primary way that I work with people. Um, but I also have a gift shop where I make, uh, these, these, um, encouragement and sympathy gifts so that if you have a friend who just lost someone or who's going through a really difficult season, you can give them something that's not just. Not just flowers, even though we love flowers, um, but just something that serves as that tangible reminder that they are not alone. And so the, 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 thing that we sell the most is something called a tear bottle. And it's just this little glass bottle that has three teardrop beads in it. And it's just that represent representation that, um, God says that he's going to collect our tears in a bottle and he writes down everyone in our, in our book. And that bottle serves as a reminder that God's there with us. And he, he sees our tears. And he knows the sorrow that we are walking through and he's there. And so the gift shop allows you to get something and just send it straight to a friend who's going through a difficult time, something they can hold on to, something they can kind of keep on their shelf as that reminder that they are not alone. Um, But I love to take it a little bit step further. In every order, I I write a note um, for the person who's receiving it, whether it's the person who ordered it or the person that's actually receiving it as a gift. But I also pray over it and I record myself doing an audio prayer because I want them to know, you like, I recognize you as a real person. I recognize the situation that you're going through. I recognize that you're trying to help your friend and I'm going to, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to hear my voice because you are a real person and I hear I'm here and I care for you. And so I send that to them. Um, and that's just part of my ministry. Like I want them to know, I appreciate that you are supporting your friends and I'm here and I'm praying for you and you're not alone and your friend's not alone.
1: I have chills because that is so powerful, but I'm going to be honest, most of us avoid that. In church, we talk about overcoming and and having faith and, you know, kind of um, building resilience and all of these things that, although they're wonderful, I talk about resilience all the time, but there is um, something about being okay to be in the muck and the mess with people. But oftentimes as caregivers or as church ministry leaders, we are trying to pull people out of that muck. So talk to me for a minute about what it's like or why do you lean in to the messy and just hold space and stay there for with people? Because most people are trying to pull people out where you seem to be comfortable and even called to standing and and taking your time in that messy space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is hard um, because we want to fix things and we want to make things better and we just want them to be happy again. Um, but I found that you can't rush that and you can't force people um, to heal. You can't force them through that process. You can't speed it up. It just has to happen. And so just joining them in that place of heartbreak and grief and sorrow and just being okay. If you're, if you're a friend, just being okay to go and sit with them in the silence and just be like, Hey, I'm here. And not have to force a conversation. I have found that probably to be the most healing thing like ever in my life, like not having to talk my way through something or like someone's asking me questions that I don't know how to answer. Like, I'm just here Um, and it takes time to heal and it takes time for God to do that healing work, work in you. Like he doesn't just most of the time he doesn't just snap his fingers and you're healed. Like there's a process involved and there's probably some work that you need to do. Um, and that's just part of the process that he uses to draw him, to draw you closer to him. And so being able to sit with someone in that space, yes, it's so incredibly difficult a lot of times because it's, it's hard. Um, and if you're, if you're a caring person, like I know you are because you're listening to the podcast or if you are extremely empathetic, (laughs) um, it's hard because you kind of enter into their stories and you feel that pain with them and you experience that grief with them. Like if, if I hear someone's story, like it's so like, I can just start crying. Um, there was someone in, in my Sunday school class that was sharing how a friend of his had passed away kind of like in a tragic way. And like, I just, tears just started streaming down my face because I can't imagine what that must've been like for him. Um, and so it's, it's hard to sit in that space, but I, I feel like it's so important to acknowledge it and say, it's okay to grieve and it's okay to hurt. Um, and it's okay to just sit there for a while and let yourself process that before, um, before you're ready to take that next step forward and find that healing that Jesus has for you, you know, cause I don't know, have, have you ever been in that place where someone's trying to force you to do something and you're just like, this isn't, no, this, is, this does not work. Yep. <laughs>
1: I feel like uh, many people, and myself included, might be thinking what that professor was thinking. How do you do this? How do you do this day in and day out? And how do we send people to you? Because there's many people who are listening who know that people need to process and know that they need support, but they just don't have the capacity. They just don't have the capacity to sit with people like that, but they want to, they know that is helpful.
0: One of the things I've really had to learn is that I do want to be fully present with them in that moment, whether it's reading their email where they're sharing their story with me, or if I'm actually literally sitting with a friend who is going through a difficult time, I want to be fully present. Um, But at some point I have to hand that over to God and just say, God, I'm bringing my friend here before you. um, And I know that you can heal them. And I know that you can make your presence known to her. And I just have to let that go to him. And that's really a process of surrender of trusting him to take care of my friend. And it is very intentional, like, because otherwise I find myself kind of carrying that around and it's very heavy um, and it weighs on me. And I just, I'm so worried about my friend. And Is she ever going to get through this? And what happens with this? You know, just, just being able to have that intentional surrender of God. I'm placing her in your hands. I can trust you. I know that you're good. I know you've got her. And just resting in that truth is very important Um, there are other things that you can do to try to help take care of yourself um, as you're caring for others but that has been probably the most helpful for me of just that intentional surrender um yeah i mean that's that's huge mm-hmm.
1: i feel that takes practice it does <laughs> <laughs> like that's not easy it's it it's not easy um and i think only those who have gone through personal experience of surrendering something to the Lord would be able to nod their head with you, saying, yes, that is required and and that is possible we're able to do that. That's cool. Knowing that we're coming up to the holiday season when we have this juxtaposition of feelings where people are celebrating with family and coming together in community and, you know, Christmas is coming and, and purchasing and memories and traditions. And there's a lot of things that are happening for people that are wonderful and reason to celebrate. But at the very same time on the other side of that coin, um, there's a lot of things that are triggering and, and, um, difficult and heartbreaking for some people during this time. How do we, how can we walk with people through this difficult time, um, with the world around us celebrating but someone in front of us is is mourning or grieving.
0: Yeah, it is it is hard because we have we have both things at the same time. Like we have that celebration, we want to be thankful for Thanksgiving. We want to celebrate Christmas and celebrate the fact that Jesus came to to the earth to save us and we want to have that good time with our family and our friends. And yet there are a lot of people Um, in different seasons who carry their grief into the holiday season. And maybe they just lost a loved one. Maybe this is their first holiday season without that person being there with them. Maybe they lost their job this year. And so Christmas doesn't quite look like it used to be, or maybe they are a college student who'd moved away. And so like now they're coming back to their home and it's a little different now because mom and dad, you know, you've not been there for a few months and things are a little different now because you've, you've been away and, and things are just different. And I think it's, I think it's important to acknowledge that things change as we get older. And, um, just to recognize that, I mean, I would probably say that all of us are carrying some sort of grief mm-hmm. into the, into the holiday season, whether, or, I mean, that may not be to the death of a loved one, but it's probably some other kind of um, hardship that we've been through or are experiencing. And so like, I know when I was um, struggling with depression, like when you are depressed, it's really, it's really hard. <laughs> to celebrate. And you want to, you want to join in the festivities and you want to be playing all the games with your family or whatever it is that you do. Um, but again, you can't force that. And so I think it's really important for us as a church to recognize that there is that tension there. And yes, we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate with everything that we've got. And yet we also want to acknowledge and honor the grief and the pain that our people are carrying. And um, I found that blue Christmas services are really good at doing that. They acknowledge um, the loss that people might've experienced during the, during the year, or um, if they've just been diagnosed with a terminal disease or with cancer, you know, it, it gives them that that sacred space to acknowledge that before God and bring it to him. Um, And it allows them almost like they they acknowledge it so that they can celebrate. Um, and it's not that it, it goes away. I mean, we still carry that grief with us, but just being able to acknowledge it in front of other people can be really healing for some people. Now, now others don't want that public. <laughs> they don't want to go to a service where it's all about acknowledging our loss and our grief. They need that private space to just recognize what they've been through and maybe to name their losses and to just kind of mourn on their own, you know? And so I feel like it's really important for us to acknowledge that that each person will need to process it in their own way. And we can't say, oh, you lost someone this year. You really need to come to the blue Christmas service, Mm -hmm. like giving them the freedom and, you know, acknowledging their right to make that choice for themselves of, hey, we have a blue Christmas service. We would love for you to come if you feel like that would be helpful for you, but not pressuring them to come. Like the choice is yours. Um, And just letting people decide what might be best for them in that moment. Um, As a small group leader or as a church leader, it's really about knowing your people and asking Holy Spirit to guide you because Every situation is going to be different. Like there's not one thing that's going to be best for everyone there. Like they're all in different places in their journeys. Some heal faster than others. Um, Some process their grief faster than others. And, and that's okay. And so if we can, we can just recognize that and just really trust Holy Spirit to lead us when we're talking to different people, you know, how can we best support you during this holiday season? What do you need from us? And just really leaning into however they guide you. If they need space to be on their own, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I know that's hard for people. Cause <laughs> it's I know really hard, hard for, for my, people. <laughs> it was hard for my family and friends. Just if I say, I just need a day, like I just, I need a night to myself when I was in that space. Like they just so, they love you so much. They just want to sit with you in it. But some people just need to literally be on their own to process. And um, I know for us, um, My grandfather was actually killed in a car accident in December. And so, you know what Christmas hit just, you know, a few weeks later. And just, I remember that first holiday, you know what, there's, there's probably already presents that were bought for him that now we have to figure out what to deal with. And I'm just, what does Christmas look like without him? Because he was like, he was, I don't want to say the glue that held our family together, but he like, he was a main person in our family that we all Mm. enjoyed and loved Mm. And so with his, um, his presence being missed, it just looked way different. And you know what, in some ways it's never been the same. It's never been the same. And that doesn't mean it still can't be good. And so it just really trusting the, the people and the Holy spirit to guide you and what each person needs, Mm -hmm. I feel is one of the best things that we can do for them.
1: Mm -hmm the term Blue Christmas is going to be new for people. What Can you explain that a little bit just so that people have better understanding? Because I think you're going to have some resources on what that is.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, uh, on my own podcast, I'll have an episode that will air on November 30th. That's all about Blue Christmas services. But the basics is that this is a special service that you hold apart from your Christmas Eve service. And it is just a service that recognizes the losses and the griefs of people throughout the year. And so they can, um, they're all structured a little differently, but it's, it's more of like you're grieving together as a community. And so if you've lost church members throughout the year, that family has a chance to maybe light a candle in honor of them, or maybe there's an empty chair that represents their presence with you. Um, there are songs that talk about God's comfort in his peace during times of trial and sorrow. There might be scripture that is read that is meant to, again, comfort and just recognize that we do have hard times, and it's really it. it seems like a it is a heavy service, um, mm-hmm. but it can bring so much healing to someone who's going through a difficult season, so that Christmas doesn't feel so hard, and like it just has to. To not let like you feel like Christmas has to be all happy and joyous, like. We can recognize that there are hard parts of Christmas. Um, I have an advent resource that will be coming out. That's called when your silent night feels empty. And that is kind of geared toward the same thing, like just recognizing the losses that you've experienced and helping people people process that on their own. And uh, part of that will include um, just it's, it's like this guided prayer that recognizes the hard parts of Christmas, because if we think back to that first Christmas story, there are hard parts that we overlook when we celebrate Christmas, we Mm -hmm. focus on the shepherds and we focus on the wise men and baby Jesus being born. But we forget that there was an entire village of boys who were killed because Herod was trying to kill baby Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine the loss that those families were enduring. And there were other hard parts of that Christmas story that we just, we ignore. And so just acknowledging that, Even though it is a season of celebration, it's also a season just to recognize those losses and that's okay. It really is okay. And so I would love to share those resources with anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Just thinking about however, how can your church very intentionally like find a way to reach out to those that are hurting? And it might be, be a blue Christmas service. It might be some other way. I don't know. Um, but just finding ways to reach out to them and say, hey, we we recognize that you are experiencing some sort of loss this year and we're here to support you. And mm. it's okay to feel that sadness and that um, that celebration at the same time. Like we are capable mm. of feel, feeling both experiences at the same time. And I know some people feel like it, it has to be one or the other, but no, like we feel both at the same time. We can be mm-hmm. nervous and excited at the same time. We can be scared and happy you know Mm -hmm. so we can be sad and celebrate at the same time too it just it Mm -hmm. just looks different and i think that's okay
1: well i think this whole year looks different and i think it's (laughs) or two years and so um churches are learning how to lean into being uncomfortable to be able to connect and meet a need of their community in a whole different way like there's a whole different way of looking at church now and i think by utilizing your resources on blue christmas and that advent resource so that they can once again lean into that uncomfortable space and knowing that recognizing sadness or sorrow during christmas doesn't diminish the celebration it just adds a different meaning for those who need it
0: yeah absolutely and i and i have found that if i just if i have that chance to process and to acknowledge it then I am much more able to show up and to celebrate um, with my family. And so uh, one of the things I actually encourage my own audience to do if they were feeling that spot where the, the holidays just seemed difficult is just find a way to like maybe the night before you meet with your, your family for Christmas or Thanksgiving, like just take the night before and just kind of process that grief on your own, you know, journal about it, pray about it, listen to some music and just find a way to acknowledge that so that the next day, you can show up and kind of be ready to celebrate, even if there are still tears. Like tears are okay, but just having that space for it makes a big difference.
1: Mm-hmm. So many people fight tears. So many people think crying is bad or a sign of weakness or a sign of lack of faith. And I I tell people all the time that crying is actually your body's um, response to stress, and it and. And feelings are meant to be felt. And if you don't feel them, they're going to manifest and come out in different ways. And so by crying or lamenting or um, having those moments of mourning or grief or struggle, it allows your body to release the stress so that you're able to um, move on and so that you're able to take you know whatever next steps are needed.
0: Yeah, and I actually had a college mentor who told me um, – Tears are our deepest form of worship. They are what we give when we have nothing else to offer. Mm. And that has always stuck with me. Like sometimes there are no, there are no words when you're praying. There's no words when you're trying to process. It's just, you're sitting there and you're crying and you're just kind of like, all right, God, I'm like, here, here I am. And here's, here are the tears. Yeah. And again, I think that's part of why um, the tear bottles are so popular because we, we acknowledge that there are seasons of tears and whether um they seem bigger little like we we have seasons of tears and and that's okay it's okay to cry mm-hmm.
1: you mentioned those tear bottles are for friends how, what would how could churches use that i'm i'm just thinking that You know, churches, people often struggle how to recognize a loss. And, you know, like you said, there's flowers, there's cards, there's the prayer team, there's casseroles that show up at the door. Um, But this is a little bit different. And the uniqueness might be really interesting. Like a lot of people might be like, oh, this would be provide so much meaning for people. How could churches utilize that or, or use that?
0: Yeah, uh, if if churches wanted to, I would be more than happy to work with them to get a few that they could have on hand, so that maybe when a, a church member or someone in their community kind of passes away, they can have that there and pass it along to you know the widow or the widower and uh, with the family and just share that with them of hey, we want you to know that God sees your tears and He's He's here. You're not alone, and we are here for you too. And just kind of make it that um, that gift that reminds them again, you know what? They're not alone. They're not alone. And it's really making sure they know that. And, you know, it's different from the flowers and the meals because those go away. The flowers die. The meals get eaten. Uh, That little, it's a little little tear bottle. They can just keep on their nightstand or their dresser or on an end table and just maybe put it next to their photo of their loved one. So they can just be remembered that, you know, God is there with them. Um, and so if churches were interested in that, they just have to, you know, just contact me and we'll we'll work something out so that you have some on hand that you can personally deliver um to those in your communities.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So Carrie, knowing what you know today. Uh, the lessons you learned, the skills that you developed, the the stories and the resilience that you've built through your life, if you could send yourself an email or a voicemail of, if you can send your past self an email or a voicemail, what would you tell yourself?
0: I think one of the biggest things for me would have been that it's okay to take the time that I needed to kind of process things on my own. Um, I know there were seasons where I just felt like I was trying to show up for people and to be there and just pretend that I wasn't struggling. Um, And that was not helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Just being able to acknowledge of, Hey, I just, I need some time to myself for a little bit to kind of work through this, like talking about it with someone doesn't help me. I mean, it just doesn't. Um, You know, I tried meeting with a counselor and I, I love what counselors do, but it just, it wasn't helpful for me because I couldn't answer her questions um, being such a such an introverted person. Like I, I process things through writing and I can't always answer a question right away. So when she asked me something, I just felt like like I'm supposed to have an answer for her and I don't. And so just knowing that it's okay to heal a little different from someone else and to find your own journey in that. And for me, that meant lots of time alone. Like being alone is healing for me. It gives me that time and space I need to talk to God and to pray and just to reflect. And not everyone's going to understand that. They think that you need to process a certain way, but we all process things differently. And so I think for me, that would have been one of the biggest things. And also to be willing to trust again, because when you when you lose friends that are close to you or when you go through difficult seasons or when somebody hurts you, like it's, it is really hard to learn how to trust again and to let people in. And even though you need to be wise about it, not to be afraid that when, when someone shows up and they're loving you and they're caring for you and like, they love Jesus then it's okay to start opening up a little bit and just to start trusting them because living life on your own is not, it's not good. Um, We need other people around us and, and they, they need us too. you know, we all need to be there for each other. And that's why part of what I do is so important, you know, just, we're all kind of showing up for our neighbors and our family and we're, we're being there for each other and we're accepting each other and we're belonging together. And that's how, that's how God wants us to live.
1: Hey there. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action how are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And don't forget to grab that free downloadable blue Christmas planning guide, a resource that helps churches plan a service that honors the losses that people have experienced this year. And if you want to be reminded when a new episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks for connecting. Take care.